Welcome, everyone, to episode 211 of Some Like It Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we have a rarity in the Some Like It Scott-verse, a main episode of the podcast with only one Scott. After being duped by Regal Cinemas into purchasing a ticket for the Apple TV Plus Ryan Reynolds Will Ferrell Christmas musical Spirited, instead of the new awardsy Steven Spielberg coming-of-age family drama that he thought it was, our beloved Scott Harvey went all Scrooge McDuck on Twitter and Instagram, went on a tirade before watching his soul leave his body inside the first two minutes of Spirited. So may he rest in peace. The goal is to coax his soul back into him next week with the temptation of a little Anya Taylor-Joy and the other things that are all part of the menu that Ralph Fiennes has in store for us. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We still have a podcast for you this week, and it's going to be a great one. I have a very special returning guest to talk the biggest and most anticipated MCU project of the year. Ryan Coogler's follow-up to the 2018 Oscar-nominated Black Panther standalone film, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. You probably guessed it. That guest is indeed Jay Habib Jay. Welcome back to the pod. How are you doing today? Hey, Scott. I'm doing well. Feels like early 2018 with you and me talking about a Marvel movie with no Scott Harvey around. It's true. It's been a long time. It's been a very long time, but doing well. It's been a very hectic weekend. This is the third day in a row that I'm seeing you. Which is always fun. I know. I'm. I've. I've scheduled my everything appropriately. Where I will now. I won't see you for two weeks. Thank God. So. Of course. No, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, you know, excited to be on the pod again after a while, and excited. Yeah. To what? No. No time to die. Last year was the last time you were on the pod. Uh, of released episodes so far. Yes. We, oh we have well. Some look at those. Look at those episodes. teases that he's given you. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll see. <laughs> my, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see if that amounts to anything. But sure. Yes, I think the last released episode that I was on at this point in time, because I, I assume this will be released in the next few days, uh, I think yeah. was No Time to Die. Yeah. And uh, I mean, appropriate, I guess, what you we always have you for, you know, the at this point, it feels like the countdown related episodes, No Time to Die being that. This is, this is sort of the exception to the rule, I guess, unless you say this is related to like the original countdown that we almost completed but didn't quite complete i guess if we're going way back in the lore of something like it's got but yeah i i do remember recording the first black panther episode with you yeah at williams college i think while you were in town for the in weekend the flesh. yeah yeah uh in i can't even remember it was in hopkins hall it was in one of those basement classrooms and yeah. I, just, I remember having that conversation with you there um hopkins I, hall was it actually pretty I, sure thought it was in oh it was i was thinking it was griffin but no it totally was hopkins all it was we had another conversation yeah in like a uh, like a room like i have a picture from that where it was like the first time we were recording it live um yeah totally wow what I a blast that was in the, the past. first avengers movie but yeah no that was that was a long that's what i was looking up right before i was like how long ago was that yeah well yeah i mean it was february 2018 yep yeah um because i was there for swimming and diving Yep. And uh, we saw Black Panther, you, me, Jad Hamden. And Jad well, I don't, can we count him that he actually saw the movie? I don't know. He fell asleep in it. So I was going to say, he saw about two thirds of the movie, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, it was late. It was in Pittsfield. He's the one who drove us. So I guess we I, can't I don't know what in Pittsfield has to do with the falling asleep part. You're right. That has absolutely nothing to do, <laughs> to do with it at all. Um, but, you know, can't rag on him too hard uh, since he did drive us there and back, I guess. So, of course, um, you know, hopefully... He 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 re, he finally watches the first Black Panther movie and then watches this as as, as well. I guess I don't know. I don't, I got to check in with him this week. It's gonna say seeing this movie. There you go. 
I think I've actually seen him on Tuesday, so I can, that can be a topic of conversation. But anyway, as already mentioned, we are here today to talk about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to the 2018 standalone Black Panther film that functions as also a tribute to the death of Chadwick Boseman, who passed away after a prolonged fight with colorectal cancer back in 2020. The MCU's third film of 2022 in the film and the final film of Phase 4, Cold opens to a scene of Shuri, played by Letitia Wright, in her lab, racing to find a cure to an unnamed mysterious disease that her brother T'Challa has fallen ill of. Her furious attempts to synthetically recreate the heart-shaped herb that she believes will save his life in the wake of T'Challa's cousin and the villain of the original 2018 film Killmonger destroying them all are in vain, however, as T'Challa succumbs to his illness. Fast forward one year. When you have multiple international governments attempting to pressure Wakanda, now led by T'Challa's mother, Queen Ramonda, played by Angela Bassett, into sharing their unique supply of vibranium, but to no avail. Instead, Queen Ramonda withdraws Wakanda into further isolation and continues to urge her daughter Shuri to find a way to recreate the heart-shaped herb so that a new Black Panther can defend Wakanda from external threats, though Shuri repeatedly refuses, complaining that the Black Panther is a relic of the past and that Wakanda should move forward. Meanwhile, in search of their own source of vibranium, the CIA uses a new submergible vibranium detecting machine to discover potential underwater deposits of the rare metal vibranium in the Atlantic Ocean. However, one night during an exploratory mission with the device, the entire search team is attacked and killed by a tribe of blue-skinned, water-breathing humanoids led by the winged-foot mutant Namor, played by Taino Chuerta. When there are no survivors, the CIA assumes that Wakanda is responsible while Namor also blames Wakanda for driving these governments to trespass on his people's underwater domain named Talokan. Namor easily infiltrates Wakanda, bypassing their advanced security, and offers Queen Ramonda and Shuri an ultimatum. Deliver the scientist responsible for the creation of the vibranium detecting device, or he will lay waste to Wakanda himself. Jay, we had the distinct pleasure, as you alluded to, of seeing this movie together in IMAX this past Friday night. And so I'll ask, did Coogler and the Wakandans return to the big screen and give a fitting tribute to the star Chadwick Boseman and deliver on the original film's widely heralded achievement and move you the way it promised? Or ultimately, did it feel like Wakanda Forever was far too deep into Namor's Talokan without a paddle to save itself? Wow. Well-phrased question with a lot of different parts. Let's start with the tribute to Chadwick Boseman part. I think this movie did a good job, you know, serving as a tribute to him. Truthfully, I felt like I had kind of had my on-screen goodbye to him in the What If episode that focuses on Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther character where uh, he's a member of, not the Guardians, but the Rogues, perhaps. I- I'm forgetting the... The Alt-Guardians, yes, the Alt-Guardians. Yeah. Whatever he's they Star-Lord. were called. He's Star-Lord or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, he ends up talking Thanos out of his like infinity stones quest and you know is ultimately just like a great guy all around in the universe not just limited to earth but i was definitely moved you know seeing the opening credits all dedicated to him of course the mural of him in the movie and then a tribute that maybe we can talk about later on uh, that takes place but i thought honestly it felt like this was going to be an impossible task yeah he set the bar so high in the last role you know an absolute icon and being taken from us so suddenly, I found myself wondering how this franchise would continue forward. I feel like they ultimately did a good job continuing forward without him while still paying tribute to him. Thinking about it as a movie itself, I also really, really enjoyed it. 
I'm really glad we got to see this one together. Felt like the last Marvel movie we saw together, we didn't enjoy as much. We don't have to talk about that. But this one was very enjoyable. I remember looking or talking to you the second it was over saying that was the shortest two hour, 40 minute movie I feel like I've ever sat in. Of course, we weren't right at the 240 mark, right? But I, the movie felt like it wrapped up pretty quickly. And as we were finishing up the climactic scenes, I thought we might have like another half an hour left. I was like, how are we going to fill this? But no, like the time had gone by. I felt like there were solid performances all around. It was visually very, very stunning. In my mind, I was jokingly referring to this movie as Black Panther 2, The Way of Water, uh, just because of how... Pre- and I know I'm not the only one. Obviously, this is all over Twitter, but I, you know, seeing the the blue people and all the water, I was like, you know, Avatar 2, Wakanda Forever, or Black Panther 2, The Way of Water. But it was all in all, you know, technically and visually stunning, a pretty moving film. I'm really glad we got to see this together. Yeah, I I agree. It was definitely a great movie to see with a full crowd. I mean, you'd expect that, I guess, at this point with an MCU film, especially at the scale of something like Wakanda Forever, full crowd getting to see with people that, you know, you can just sort of walk out of the theater with and, and talk about after and sort of experience it together. I think that is such a, that is definitely obviously one of the, a huge draw of the MCU movies is, is that sort of communal aspect that sort of comes with it at this point in the theater. Um, but also everything, everything you're saying as well, like it being visually stunning. I, 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 yeah, it's like, it's like hard to put my finger exactly on what it is about the movie, but it really does feel like, I mean, just sort of like flatly said, like much better made than Thor Love and Thunder, which is the most recent Marvel movie. It feels better made than, than the movies last year as well. And some part of that I think is probably just the, fact that the director is Ryan Coogler, who makes extremely well-polished, large sort of, not necessarily in scope, but certainly in um, sort of emotions, like large scale movies. I think if you go as far back as, you know, one of his first movies with Michael B. Jordan with um, Fruitvale Station, like that's a small movie, but it feels really grand and in sort of the emotions and scale that it that it brings to the very individual story that it tells and something that he's been pretty successful doing with Creed. And then obviously with black Panther and um, now in this, and I, and it just, just sort of like 15, 20 minutes in, I just sort of felt like I was watching something that was just bigger um, than a lot of the other movies, including f- films that in phase four that I've enjoyed, like bigger than Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, um, a film that I know I liked more than you did, but still like a, a film that, that it, it just felt like I was watching something different, I guess, which was which was nice because, you know, as quote unquote, like big as even a movie like Thor, Love and Thunder was, I mean, cost, I'm sure, 200 million plus dollars to make even before marketing, like, you know, it, it sort of lands very flat. And I and although I do have some complaints about about the movie, which I'm sure we'll get into, I think for the most part, this film um, delivers in the tribute element and, and doesn't fall flat in that way. What you were saying, sort of the, the cold open of the film before the um the title card hits is um powerful in its own way and i think it was a good idea for sort of to follow that with a with an opening title card that was entirely attributed to chadwick boseman was completely silent is something that i think obviously maybe that's low-hanging fruit but felt like it was the right tenor for the film and it then did try to move on and even with you know t'challa still in the back of everyone's mind and i think it uh, you know, strangely enough, I feel like my biggest concern of the film, which is the one you were talking about, like, how do they 
figure out how to move on past this sort of like gaping hole that exists in its franchise um just because of the you know the sort of the star power and and the sort of um center of gravity being Chadwick Boseman and, and the figure that he was I think they were able to do that again I do think there are flaws I don't know if if the story gets everything right this film gets everything right in terms of what I think it will be a successful future for the franchise but I do think they are able to prove that they can make something that doesn't have Chadwick Boseman in it, and it is moderately successful so it it was a really good experience in that sense it it was very watchable I really enjoyed um the film for the vast majority of the time and yeah the action sort, sort of the, the visuals I, I think is the way to put it. the visuals don't didn't feel cheap I feel like a lot of the Marvel visuals have felt pretty cheap recently um I didn't take the time to actually look up how much of it was like shot on more more like I guess like a on on location some of the stuff and obviously there's tons of CGI in this movie um just like fundamentally but one of the things that about the difference between this and some of the other Marvel movies that we've seen in phase four is again, like the sort of the richness of the CGI just felt, it just felt more complete, I think than some of the other films. And that's become a common criticism. I feel like of MCU films, especially this year, uh, didn't feel that way when I was watching this movie. I wonder, you know, if, if that will feel different on a rewatch, um, if, and when that happens, but yeah, overall, I thought Coogler was great. We'll get to the performances in a second. Um, definitely have some thoughts on that. But I, I guess to call out before we even get there to sort of jump the gun a little bit, I did think that once again, I, I felt like the villain's performance sort of was the almost sort of the, mo the, mo the, the, the one that was I felt the most interested in and was the strongest. I thought Tano Tuerta was an excellent name or I mean, vi villain might be a complicated term to use, but certainly the antagonist of the film. Um, maybe Namor is a bit comp. I think Namor is a bit more complicated than that, probably as a character. And I don't know if that's a spoiler to say that, but I think he is someone that, um, unsurprisingly, Ryan Coogler is trying to do a lot with. And I think some of the things that retrospectively have sort of aged poorly, maybe about Black Panther, I think this film managed, like this film, I think recognizes that and understands that maybe the best approach to the film isn't necessarily to fall into the same traps um, with its antagonists. So Tano Tuerta is really strong in this film. Um, we'll definitely talk all about him and the, you know, sort of, I don't, I don't even know what, what are his people called? Like, the, I don't know, just Talakan? Like, I don't know, like, I'm not quite sure what to, what to call his people. I'm not, I, I think the Talakan people is probably fine. Yeah. Talakanians, no, I'm not gonna no, say don't that. don't do that, come no, on. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, don't worry. Um, yeah. So yeah, he you know he's the leader of Telecon. We're going to talk about that in a second. I guess first let's talk about the Wakandans, and we've both already started to talk a little bit about this. But just to sort of address the elephant in the room, and that is the absence of Chadwick Boseman. We talked about the tribute a little bit already. Um, I shared, and I think you shared something similar that it was a big fear of ours that he what like that this person wasn't going to be in the film. They made the decision almost immediately to not recast the role. So obviously have to adjust and change things in the story to accommodate to accommodate the the absence of this character jay do you feel like not just from a tribute perspective but do, do you feel like that the absence of t'challa in the film um ended up being something that they worked their way around effectively and well i think i shared that i thought that they did but I'm curious to dig for you to dig a little bit more into that 
Yeah, I almost wouldn't frame it as they worked their way around it as I would they worked their way through it. Yeah, totally. In That's that, a good point. I mean, we watched this movie. They not many minutes go by without a reminder that T'Challa is not around or that the Black Panther as a symbol is not around, mm. whether it's scenes at the UN or in Wakanda in battle scenes yeah. after the fact, or just like in passing conversations between people that are not in either like major location, you know, we were constantly reminded that he's not there. The most powerful person in the world is not there. Or the most powerful nation has lost its protector. And it is a weird juggling act that it's doing where it is trying to craft a story that, you know, pays homage to him, still moves on without him and still fits within like this universe that we've created. Right. I ultimately think I mentioned earlier, this felt like it was going to be an impossible task. I personally wasn't sure whether they should recast the role or not. I think I ultimately landed on no, though. I've definitely heard plenty of arguments for yes, that I also think made sense. And I think the way that they did this, really really work again it, it's the it's hard to me you're not you're not working around it because his absence is so glaring like you're constantly reminding us of it but if in a way like i think that was helpful almost to the healing process for those of us who wanted to see him yeah as the character of course also just alive and well he seemed like a you know great human being all around but in missing his character like you know it, it helped I think me just like as a viewer to like be reminded and you know of that loss so that when we got to like later in the movie and we were at a point where we might be a little bit more future looking I'm not trying to drop major spoilers just yet though maybe we're at that point but you know when when the new Black Panther reveals themselves and you know the music swells and everyone's like the Black Panther has risen or is back I can't remember the exact wording you know like chills everywhere and i'm like all right like let's let's move forward kind of thing i'm not like leaving all this in the past but it was like all right i am i'm ready to take a step forward the way characters characters in this movie are now too with a new black panther serving as a protector of wakanda yeah there's almost a lot of heavy i think that's a really great point and i and i agree with it i think there's a lot the movie has to do a lot of heavy lifting because it fast forwards from you know the death of chadwick boseman or sorry, geez, of T'Challa um, in the film. Fast forwards a year, like almost immediately. You get like no, you spend no time with these characters really beyond like the funeral um, in the grieving process. Like they show you the funeral of T'Challa, but that's it. And th there's obviously some, that, that is something, but there's no real um, time for these characters on screen to process in the immediate aftermath of what's happened. And so, yeah, it, it not that it's, uh, some new idea to sort of lay out grief on screen as and remind you of grief as a way to sort of like process through that as a community a outside the film but also be inside of it but it, it you it really does a good job of laying out for the first i don't know you know hour and 45 minutes or whatever of, of the film that everyone's really struggling in their own ways like you have queen ramonda as someone who just feels like her entire family is being taken away from her one by one, first with her husband in Captain America Civil War, now with, you know, T'Challa sort of in the absence of, a, of a, you know, on screen death. And she's someone who is finding it really difficult to move forward. Not that she's living in the past, but like the future is the past to her. Like we need it. We need a new Black Panther. It needs to be someone who can protect our country 
and we need to protect them from outside threats. Kind of the whole point, like the whole thing that they were arguing about in the first movie, about whether Wakanda should be isolationist or whether they should be, you know, open their borders up to the people and share their their wealth of resources and knowledge. So it's it was almost it almost felt like it really did sort of sync up with the narrative, like as a film, it, it synced up really nicely with the other themes and narratives happening in previous film, even though, you know, the death of Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa not being in this movie wasn't how the film was originally planned. And so, yeah, the, the way that you describe it as, you know, the film sort of processing these emotions and working through it as opposed to around it, I think that is really effective um an effective way to describe it because that is it is what it feels like and when yeah like you said when when the people are ready to sort of take the end of the movie are ready to take the next step in their grieving process and stop maybe and and have that evolve towards okay we're going to we're going to look more towards the future of wakanda as opposed to the past of it in you know the last third of the film i think you don't feel it doesn't feel abrupt um it's maybe one of the benefits of having a long run time in the film even though the movie the film does flow quite nicely and quite quickly. Um, one of the benefits of the longer runtime is the fact that you do get to spend, you know, an hour and a half plus with these characters grieving um, before that next step is taken. So, yeah, I'd agree. I think that it did a really good job. Um, you know, they only I think that they. I was I was going to say earlier that the, he doesn't that Charlie Boseman doesn't appear at all in the film, but that's not true. There is like archival footage of him in the film. But yeah. Incredible, yeah, a really, really well navigated in that they just fully embraced it. So great work there. But we're talking about the Wakandans. Grief was obviously a huge part of the process for them and a huge theme of the first two thirds of the film, like I was just saying. But why don't we talk about their characters more specifically and, and dig in here? I think Shuri and Queen Ramonda are probably the first people worth talking about. There's also plenty of other people we can get to in a second, including people like um Nakia and Okoye and then one new character who's I guess technically not a Wakandan but it plays a big role in the film whose name is Riri Williams we'll get to her in a second but Jay Shuri sort of the not the leader of Wakanda because that is Queen Ramonda but sort of like the de facto um person that everyone sort of turns to as like the future of Wakanda it feels like do you feel like Letitia Wright lived up to that responsibility uh, it's big shoes to fill um arguably not trying to fill Chadwick Boseman's shoes, but just trying to carve her own path probably in this franchise and not try to to be the same that Chadwick Boseman was for it. But was this a successful outing for Letitia Wright? Do you feel like if she is the sort of face of the franchise moving forward that the franchise is in safe hands, I guess? I think so. I think ultimately she's not, as is the case with any franchise, she's not the only one holding it afloat. And I think it's the kind of thing that when I walked out of the theater, I was a, maybe a little bit less sure. And I wouldn't say I'm completely sure now. Yeah. Because when I walked out of the theater, even though we had watched that last third act, which was much more forward facing and yeah. about moving on and whatnot, I definitely felt like I was still missing something central. Again, couldn't, and you know, we tossed around a couple of theories, couldn't really pinpoint if it was about her, her performance, her character. I ultimately think that the character's story uh, is quite compelling, and I think she did a good enough job telling it. So I think, yeah, that the franchise should be in good hands moving forward. I think Letitia Wright. It's so interesting seeing, I mean, just the arc, right, of someone who has been very technology-focused, right, and in the opening scene is like, 
I'll never question God if God comes through this one time. I don't, I, you know, or the Wakandan deity. I think Bast is his name. Sorry, who are you talking about? No, Bast, like the Wakandan God. Like in the beginning scene, she's praying, like, you know, I I'll see. never question your existence again. Uh, you know, if you help my brother pull through this. And then ultimately when God doesn't come through, like she just completely runs to technology and seeing, you know, her arc go from like a place of skepticism as it has to like run through the ancestral plane. And then eventually at the end, that scene on the beach, ultimately I think she did a really good job conveying that. I think the skepticism was well conveyed and like just told a powerful story. Curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think maybe it's inevitable that someone, there will always be one person that someone tries to point to and says, this is probably the head of your franchise. I think it's fair to say that like in the absence of, of someone like Chadwick Boseman, I think that this franchise is sort of built on an ensemble. I think with Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke, who we haven't really mentioned yet, um, Angela Bassett in this movie, it really feels like there's no one person that you'd point to to say, you know, this is the reason why you're going to go see a Black Panther movie uh, now, just from an, purely from like an actor standpoint. Um, that's not a bad thing. I think that it sort of as a franchise stands stands on its own for for a reason at this point beyond it and why Wakanda forever is not probably not going to be the last Black Panther movie um, if we're if we're being honest. But yeah, I will say that I didn't love the performance from Letitia Wright in this. I think that something about it and you were alluding to this sort of conversation we were having afterwards. And, and I think I do think that this performance and this character and this role is one of those just sort of like lingering question marks after the film for me it just it didn't really it didn't really feel totally in sync on an emotional level with everything else and i i hesitate to say that it's a bad performance but i will say i'm just not sure what the performance worked for me i think i just think that something about it whether it's yeah i can't even quite put my finger on just something about it just didn't quite click unfortunately and i think that with the right time and the right development of the character, I, I think that that ship could be righted because again, like I'm sort of going through here live, I'm not, I can't put my finger on exactly what doesn't work about it, but I just feel like she is not necessarily on the same level or the same wavelength. Maybe is a better way to put it as a lot of her co-stars in the film. And the fact that, the last third of the movie as much as the film is an ensemble in the first two thirds i do think the last third of the movie does rely on her a lot um you know that i don't know how much of a spoiler it is at this point to say this but i will say just getting into spoiler territory like she she um as we learn you know is able to recreate the heart-shaped herb she takes um she ingests it she becomes the black panther and she sort of leads that fight um against the the people of Talakan. And the last third of the film, you know, defeats Namor, is able to do all those things. But just something about it for me in all of that, it just didn't really feel like um, it just didn't really feel like something that I'm it's just something that I'm excited about, I guess, moving forward. And again, again, I just haven't maybe been as impressed with her as I as I want to be. And as other parts of the franchise have been like, I still I know this is this was never really going to happen, but I still just wish Nakia could just could just sort of be that role. I think Lupita Nyong'o is such a singular talent, um, both in this fran in this movie and also just outside and in, in in Hollywood as a whole. And 
I, it kind of feels weird to say that because I you know I loved Letitia Wright in a non MCU movie that she did a couple of years back. Actually, in 2020, right around the time that Chadwick Boseman died, she was in um, a Steve McQueen film called Mangrove. I thought she was amazing in the in the, in the film, but don't really feel like this character was able to deliver sort of in the central role uh, in the same way that she did as kind of a main supporting role, I guess, in the original. Um, I'm holding out hope. Uh, of course, I also should say, like, it's kind of impossible for me sometimes to separate um, what I think of an actor and their performances on the screen. Sometimes sometimes it's easier than others, but, you know, it's hard not to just acknowledge that there is a lot of conversation around around Letitia Wright outside of, you know, the movies that she's in in the past couple of years. Um, I feel like I tried to not let that affect me, but it also sometimes is inevitable as well. So maybe that plays a part of it, too. But I'm I'm not totally out on her, I guess. I still feel like that there's headway to be made, um, that the character can be built up over time and and for me to get more comfortable or more impressed by it. So but I think maybe one of the weaker links of this film. I don't think that's an unreasonable take. I think you describing the reason to go see a Black Panther movie as an ensemble or like I'll even, you know add on to that as like the world the story like of the place and the people is yeah more will be more captivating to me you know if there's a third black panther movie or if you know they appear in mm-hmm. a uh even avengers more like movie. ensemble like avengers yeah. type movie or something like that um i think that will probably be what drives me to it more than you know seeing Letitia wright as the black panther but that doesn't mean that she's a bad black panther or that sure. she won't do a great job going forward i yeah yeah, I also think there, like you kind of alluded to a second or a minute ago, there could have been someone else who could have taken up the mantle. I think there are a couple different ways you could have written this story. I ultimately think this one was a really good one, but I, and you know, maybe this is me like jumping off the, the edge no, a little bit, but I think Lupita Nyongo or Denai Guerrero, like either of them could have taken up the Black Panther mantle in a way where maybe like Shuri ends up becoming the monarch, but one of them becomes the Black Panther in the way where like, you know, we ended up, I guess going with full spoiler here, yeah. we end up splitting the role of Black Panther and the rule of king or queen at the end of the movie uh, with M'Baku. I actually think him as like the principal advisor to a queen Shuri would be a great, like I love their scenes together. And I think they actually, that would actually make a great um, like head of, uh, Wakanda, like, yeah. the two, like obviously with you know Shuri as the queen, Mbaku as perhaps a trusted advisor, and then you know Denai Guerrero or Peter mm-hmm. Nyong'o playing the Black Panther. Like again, I, I don't know how you would have gone about like writing that, and I don't think I expected that. I think I fully expected Shuri to be the Black Panther by the end of this movie. I think they did a good job with that. I also do think there are a few other ways you could have done this, and it still would have been, yeah, great. Yeah, I, I mean, look. Winston Duke Hive over here is eaten in this in this movie. I wish they had, he'd had they'd had more of him. He is in Baku, really great. And yeah, I think I think that the point you're bringing up is something that I I, I think is worth clarifying for my feelings as well. That there there are certainly segments of the film that I think really work. Like the so when you see sort of her fall back into a role that I think was similar to what she was doing in the first film, when she's sort of just like just kind of riffing off like other actors in the film. Like I think her dynamic with Okoye is pretty funny in the film and I think works well her dynamic with M'Baku is good as well it's just it's just something about so, sort of like the 
I don't want to call it the most important part of the role because I think that's a nuance and sort of question and difficult thing to pin down. But I think some of like the additional responsibilities she's asked to take on in this film, either A as Black Panther, but also B as sort of this sort of like emotional centerpiece of the movie. I think that's where it falls short for me. But when she's sort of, yeah, taking that sort of supporting role or, or, or standing back into a more ensemble piece and getting to play off the people around her, I think that that is, an example of stuff that she's really successful in in this movie and i thought it's one of the reasons why i, I really loved her character coming out of the first film um but yeah it, it, are we supposed to think that mbaku is sorry is the de facto leader of wakanda is that sorry is that what you meant i i didn't take that from at the end of the movie i maybe i misread it now but didn't he show up at the end saying that she would not be coming however he wanted a challenge for the mantle of king yeah yeah but I, I thought that was sort of like an ambiguous thing that they had to like do it when I don't know. I didn't know how to, I guess. Yes. I mean, maybe I like over inferred here. I'm no, I don't know. Quickly scroll through my notes here, but I'm, I, that scene definitely, the, the way, what you're describing is a hundred percent what happens. I just don't know what that means. I guess like he wants to challenge for the throne, but we know that she's not there. So is he just, is he just taking the throne because he's the only person there to challenge for it. So I, I don't know how to like, theoretically there could be yeah. someone else, like a third character who shows up in black Panther three or a future right. movie who ended up actually winning the challenge. Maybe Mbaku doesn't win it. Maybe it's Kang. Yeah. Maybe it's Jonathan. Oh Mabel. my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not Wakandan. I don't think. Sure. Okay. You don't know that. <laughs> I, 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 I said, I don't, I said, I don't he's think a, he's a scientist from the future. Where do you think he came from? I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, yeah who, I, I, I think knows? we actually know the answer to that question. It's fine. We can we can move on. I'm yeah. mainly just joking around. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, I mean, they can rewrite things as much as they want. Like, you know, sure. they they can have them be Wakandan or not be Wakandan. Like, you know, if, yeah. they, if they can turn in humans into mutants, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm simply just pointing out that they mm -hmm. are not opposed to rewriting lore. I am not opening that can of worms. I was actually totally fine with that decision yeah. they made on a TV show earlier. Moving on. <laughs> Oh man, we got to dig ourselves out of the 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 MCU TV verse over here, and, and I guess get back on track. But yeah, yeah. So Letitia Wright, I'm probably I'm mixed on. I'm, I'd say I'm mixed on. It seems like you, with some time, uh, maybe a little bit more uh, comfortable with it. But Angela Bassett, I think, is the other person we sort of mentioned at the start. Queen Ramonda. Again, we, we're talking full spoilers at this point, so there's there's no reason to beat around the bush. I mean, she does die, you know, about halfway through the film, halfway two thirds. Oh, the way through the film and that's sort of what thrusts sort of the thematic heft of the movie forward pushing them towards recreating that that heart-shaped or pushing them towards that sort of like climactic battle with namor at the end of the film and yeah i think angela bassett such a great actress i think that she's really wonderful as um and just perfectly fit for this role of sort of commanding women um, who can just walk into a room and just total like just silence everyone, just like complete respect. She she just slides easily into that role, and she does a great job in this movie. She did a great job in the first Black Panther film as well with this. And I don't know if she's doing a ton of stuff in this movie, a ton of like quote unquote like interesting things, but she certainly is a nice emotional balance, um, and is one example of how you know three or four of three one of three or four different examples that you know, Kugler and, and the team put on screen in front of us to show the different ways that the people of Wakanda are grieving. Shuri's one, someone sort of rejecting the past and looking towards the future and trying to almost just like compartmentalize everything and move on. Whereas Ramonda is someone who feels like she wants to fully lean into that and sort of 
take that as a lesson to, you know, maybe change change is a bad thing. We should go we should go backwards almost as a as a means of sort of reprisal for that. Did you feel like one? I guess one Angela Bassett. What like was she? Does she continue to perform well in this role? Um, but maybe more on a more interesting note, do you feel like the performance and and what they're trying to do with this character works effectively and as a sort of balance against especially Shuri, but then other people in the film as well? I thought she was great. I really felt her pain. Yeah. But I also, like you said, like powerful women who walk in and like silence the room. The scene at the UN was awesome. Yeah. I was like, wow, like do not mess with her. Yeah. You She's know, like, like on the short list of like her and Viola Davis of people who like, like the camera locks onto them on the screen and you're just like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, like mess around oh, and find out. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's just like that. Yeah. I mean, I ultimately don't know how much, I guess I guess she was around long enough that she was able to serve as kind of like that other. It did kind of like that that other approach to the grieving. It ultimately felt like she was ready to take a step forward much earlier, right? Like she was taking Shuri to burn the funeral garbs and essentially yeah. be like, "All right, let's like move on." Yeah, and she was ready to move on, but but her idea of moving on is very different than Shuri's idea of. of no, sure, on. and I mean, maybe I'm just forgetting. It was kind of a long movie, but like I didn't. I don't feel like we got the the, the chance to explore that a whole lot. Obviously, she wasn't yeah. as like technologically forward or rejecting of historic ideals as. Mm -hmm. we saw sherry to be but i felt like we almost didn't really get the chance to see a whole bunch of that because yeah. as we're getting ready to do that you know she's getting ready to say there's something i need to tell you about your brother like the yeah, plot Namor. kicks in right exactly yeah I, I i mean i think i think that i was thinking of that exact scene that you're talking about right there where they're they're out in like the wakandan wilderness at a campfire trying to i mean she i guess is a it's not even they it's like a she is trying to sort of shepherd shuri past this sort of grieving stage and and start to move on you know whether they disagree on that on what that means of course is maybe a separate conversation but yeah namor popping up there and they sort of are reunited sort of like emotionally i guess around this whole idea that wakanda is under threat again so yeah there, there's definitely less there and as you know i was talking earlier that i guess i i kind of wish that there was more of that because i think she is such a strong character but as is the case in so many different instances, I guess in, in movies, like it, she is also not, not just someone who's trying to shepherd Shuri forward, uh, our main character forward from moving on, but it is, you know, now the absence of her, her death that fully, you know, forces Letitia Wright's Shuri to take that next step. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's a sort of overused trope. Um, it's not fridging, I guess, technically, but, it's you not know, quite it's, fridging, but it it's is fridging adjacent, super, no, no doubt. Superhero has a dead parent or parent who dies. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've never seen that. Before. It's crazy because, yeah, it, it, it's it's really kind of nuts because Angela Bassett, um, you know, Queen Queen Ramonda, but her human name's actually Martha. I don't know if you knew this or not. Um, pretty crazy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ. Uh, all right. Moving soon, on, please. Too soon. All right, yeah, oh yeah. So, we, so Angela Bassett, be too soon. yeah, Angela Bassett, great in the film. Maybe could have gotten more of her, but then, yeah, I, I think mo moving on just to the rest of the Wakandans quickly here. Lupita Nyong'o, I mentioned already, huge fan of her. Think she's awesome. All literally always want more of her in these movies, and and will probably be eternally disappointed in her absence 
in stretches of films and also just like entire films. Like the fact that she wasn't in uh, the Avengers movies, just still just like a complete loss that she's not in the Avengers movies. Um, I only assume it's because she doesn't want to be, which, you know, fair play to her, I guess. So, yeah, we'll see if she comes back for another Black Panther movie. I kind of doubt it just based on historical reference points. Um, again, like I said, not being in either of the sort of uh, culminating Avengers movies of of phase three. And I know for a while, I think she was maybe a bit of a question mark what exactly how big a role she'd even play in this. But they do manage to give her a pretty sizable role after the first act of this movie. She really is sort of put back to work as the the war dog of Wakanda goes and recovers Shuri from Talokan when she's been taken there and then fights alongside, you know, the Wakandans in, in the climactic battle. I think she's great. Okoye is sort of like, uh, again, sort of that sort of resolute uh, Dora Milaje turned ex Dora Milaje by the end of the film uh, turned. You would know this better than I would. Does, does, she, does her like new character name have a, like have an official comic book name at the end because she's given a new suit by Letitia Wright. Nope, those that face says no. Uh, no Jay does not I, know. I'm definitely not sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think. Okay, I'm looking it up here. I believe it's uh, she's one of the, she's a Midnight Angel. I think that's what it's that's what it's called. Uh, that suit is apparently. I don't know. Anyway, she she's sort of fired from her job after after Shuri is quote unquote kidnapped by the by Talakan. And then she is sort of rechristened as a midnight angel with one of the new suits that Shuri had been working on towards the end of the film. I think she's great. I think she'll always, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I think she's really successful in being that sort of like supporting role. Um, you mentioned her as a potential op like option for black for becoming the black Panther. I don't personally see that working super well, but I think she's like an incredibly effective, almost like for the lack of a better word, like a sidekick to your main to sort of your main role. I thought she was great in the first Black Panther. I think she's continues to be great in this one. Um, yeah, am I missing anyone? I mean, we talked about M'Baku, already Winston Duke. Good stuff. We'll talk about Riri Williams in just a second, but any other thoughts on sort of the remaining Wakandans? There were a couple other Wakandans whose names I'm blanking on, a couple new members of the Dora Milaje, but sure. I, I think the ones you touched on were definitely the stars of the show. Completely yeah. agree that we should and could always get more Lupita Nyong'o and Denai Gurira. I, you know, will overlook some of the silliness of why would you ever let her take the princess of Wakanda into the field in this situation yes. uh, to be like, again, love their dynamic, love their performances. Yeah. Again, a lot of, a lot of pain going around in this movie. Uh, and I feel like they both did a great job conveying it. Um, Baku, Winston Duke, always a pleasure to see on the screen in any capacity. Again, I thought did a great job serving uh, as a, consult to shuri but also mm -hmm. stood alone well in his own moments so again just like a great great ensemble performance yeah yeah the other dora milaje i think are ao and annika i think those are the other two main ones that get screen time um well, i don't even worry were they in the first movie I, I i couldn't remember they were like maybe they were like background characters in the, in the first they movie. they might have had a line or two i and yeah. i would have to double check uh, like I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I don't remember them yeah. having nearly as many moments as they did in this movie. Oh yeah, cer certainly not. And you know, I was seeing last week where this film was not going to be released in China or Saudi Arabia. I'm like, oh man, what LGBT stuff is in this movie is the reason it's not getting released in Saudi Arabia. And it's the Dormilaje, which is great. You know, I thought that was um, a nice touch. And 
Disney continues to not care whether or not Saudi Arabia releases their movies. So good on them. Um, yeah, Riri Williams, someone probably plays a bigger role than some of the last few people we just talked about. I I can't remember if we knew that. I think we knew that she was going to be in this movie. I can't I can't remember if we knew whether or not this character's going to be in this movie. Of course, just to sort of you know jump straight to the point, she's she's sort of like the quote unquote like Iron Man replacement for the franchise. I hate to even use that, but that is like kind of kind of I think the way a lot of people are going to process that. Her character's name, I guess her superhero name is Ironheart, which I don't believe is said in in the film, but she has an upcoming Disney Plus series. It's it's so funny, and I and I've, I've been curious. Something I've wondered for a while is that, you know, was there ever a time where where Letitia Wright was going to essentially be this character? Um, I thought for sure, like after the first Black Panther movie, that she was going to be some sort of like, you know, Iron Man version two. Um, Shuri, Shuri, that is. And it feels like Ironheart is certainly that that character within within Marvel right now. I think Riri Williams is a really cool character. I, I do think that she sort of falls victim to being this person who just has like the cringiest lines at the worst times in the film. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's Dominic Thorne's Dominique Thorne's fault. Who's the person who plays Riri Williams, but it is unfortunate that she's sort of saddled with this sort of like, Oh, Wakandans like, wow, this is incredible. And, but just like has to have like the smart retorts to everything and sort of like side comments um, that like really annoying person at the movie theater, three people down from you. Who's like commenting throughout the movie. Like she kind of gets that role in this, but when, we're able to sort of move past this. I think that this character is, is interesting because in some ways, and as you know, my joke just now aside, like I do think that she is sort of, she's like a little bit of an audience stand in, in the film. And I think that those can often be used pretty effectively. Like she's someone who has heard about Wakanda. I mean, we've seen Wakanda before in other movies, of course, but like you were talking earlier about how like one of the main draws for you about a future black Panther movie. And I think this is, this is true for me as well. I think it maybe even been true of the last few movies is that Wakanda is it such like a singular place? Like it has, it's just such a, like a well realized location that frankly, Marvel just like doesn't have like you, you maybe you could have hoped that like the Thor movies could have made, you know, something out of like, um, you know, their, their location, their sort of like extra earth locations. I just don't even feel like they were ever really able to do that. Like maybe some of the guardians movies, like nowhere I think is like kind of a cool location, but it's like so generic still. Um, in my mind, whereas like Wakanda, I don't think you could ever mistake it for anything other than Wakanda. It's not generic at all. It's very specific. Um, the sort of like mix of of like cultural iconography of both like this sort of like, you know, me metropolitan, like, I don't know, like Dubai or New York City mixed with this sort of these sort of like villages surrounding it. But having the technology that's like super futuristic, I think it's just such a cool place. Um, and I think that Riri Williams sort of like fits in into that sort of like mold and, and aesthetic. And I just think that's really cool. I don't know. I think it really, I think that works really well. Um, and when you sort of put that character into that setting, I feel like I the lot, like the, the awe and wow that this character that you can see this character experiencing on screen is like something that I feel like I feel when I see Wakanda in the movies. And I think that's one of the reasons that the character works um, when she's not making like smart retorts that are annoying and everyone hates. Sorry, I said it. Well said. I mean, yeah. I don't think everyone hates them. Oh, like, I know. Because if everyone hated them, they wouldn't do them. Like, clearly people like them. And it makes least. me want to kill myself. But besides sure. that, yeah. No, I, I think I agree with everything you said. I think that 
she does do a good job kind of capturing that awe of Wakanda, you know, looking forward to seeing her in Talokan in the next movie, uh, exploring it and making, you know, quippy one-liners about it. Just being like, wow, because that's another place that hopefully people Mm -hmm. continue to develop and not, you know, it was hard to mistake that for any other place on earth. Aquaman. You don't think it was uh, the Mariana trench except for in franchises outside of this one. Um, Also, sorry, Telecon way cooler than Atlanta. Sorry. I said it. I I don't think that's a, that's, that's a very reasonable take. Yeah. Um, Sorry. You, you don't think that's a very reasonable take. No, I do. I do. Okay. Okay. I might've missed, but I I think it is a reasonable take. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I did think Aquaman actually did look pretty good just for what that's worth. No, Aquaman. No, it looks good. But I, I think the point around like, Again, like the specificity of location, something not being like, like to me, Atlantis and Aquaman just looks like a generic, like a generic Atlantis. Like this just looks like this could have been in any movie where like some like Atlantis is in. Whereas like Telecon is like, oh shit, like this is like, this seems like very specific to me. Yeah. And I'm gonna probably say that exact same thing in a couple in a couple weeks about uh, sorry, uh, what is it, Avatar Two, Wakanda Forever? Is that what we said? Oh my god. Yeah. 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 Uh, I hope you don't, but. Yeah, I think I think Riri Williams's character <laughs> was a welcome addition to the franchise. I don't think there's a world in which people would process her as anything other than the next Iron Man, and sure. you know, they, I'll blame the movie for that. I mean, it's not just the fact that you know she, her name is Ironheart, and, you know she has like an Iron Man suit, but like they literally say that in the movie, like, oh man, she got an Iron Man suit. And, you yeah. know, that scene in, uh, Boston, in Boston, Cambridge, yeah. whichever yeah. you know they're technically in, and then Cambridge, of course, like. Yeah. In that chase sequence, she goes through the Iron Man one dilemma of taking a suit too far high and then falling back down, and then of course, then the climactic scene showing up in like a full blown yeah Iron Man suit. I don't think there was they they very much wanted you to be like, hey, look, like you got you got Iron Man now. Uh, yeah, and I mean she has her own Jarvis too, right? She has, I forget what's what is it, what is it, the AI's name? That that's Shuri's AI. No, I know, but isn't he in the suit? Don't they put that AI in the suit? I don't remember. They, they, they might, I really don't remember if the AI was in the suit, and that's a, a mistake on my part for not knowing. But what's the name of that AI though? Is it? I can't remember. Drawn a blank. I'm sure yeah, if we whatever, we'll move on. Look for the credited actors, but yes, no. I I think she was great. You know, I think her series should be cool. I do wonder, as an aside, we there are two other members of the MCU at MIT right now in MJ and Ned, but I cannot imagine that they're going to show up. Man, what a cut on that. Yeah, I guess that's it, true. I guess assuming that the assuming that the timing of the films lines up correctly. I think it should in that it's it's I guess we don't know really when the film takes place. It's sometime after the events of Endgame. Yeah. But we uh, we don't know when T'Challa dies. We know it's one year after that, but we don't I guess we don't technically know when that is. But I think it's why I say to say that it's close. There should be not... some overlap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. Riri, or uh, yes. yeah, in Riri Williams's time at yeah. MIT with MJ and Ned's, but yeah. who's to say? Maybe MJ and Ned deferred for like three years. We don't even know. We didn't ever actually see. Maybe they're though. her roommates that we just didn't see. That would. I mean, that's just come on. That's a sin of coincidence right there. But I mean, t- t- tell tell me that Marvel hasn't made a sin of coincidence before. No, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that, that would be interesting. I didn't even think about that, but that's totally a good call out. I think, uh, yeah, we'll see if they, I bet they're going to show up in Ironheart. I bet they're going to show up in the TV show. Like, I, that's what we'll I'd see. I, I, I don't think they yeah. will, but like. You don't think they will? Okay. I think, I think we might get like a passing name reference. But, like, you know, she got like 
Riri happened to get like second on one test or something, like you know, <laughs> that that like Jones girl beat her. So like it was gonna be like some like throwaway line that, that Jones like girl. feeds nerds like me. Michelle Jones is MJ, right? Or Michelle yeah. Jones Watson. I don't know. However you want to describe her, but yes, like I, I defer to you. I don't even know, but point is like th- <laughs> there will be some throwaway line. And there's gonna be like some newspaper that says like you know right. two local queen like two queens like freshmen or two freshmen from Queens, you know, build yeah cool exosuit or something like that and yeah the yeah, nerds yeah. like me will see it in the corner of the screen and like eat it all up but i don't think we'll actually see them but like, prove me wrong marvel like do it you won't i don't know if they want they want people to watch those tv shows they got to get somebody in there um, i mean yeah they can always just flood it with cameos oh yeah sorry they'll actually have they'll actually have t- they'll have robert downey jr voicing the ai of her suit or something like that they'll do something stupid That'd be pretty nuts. Yeah, they'll pay him like ten million dollars per episode just to voice a just to voice an AI or something like that. That's probably already nuts. happened. Um, anyway, so that that's the Wakandans. We spent a lot of time on that. I feel like forty minutes ago when I was talking about my general thoughts of the movie, I said that Taino Huerta was was my favorite performance in the film. So I'd love to pivot talk about Talo Khan. Um, of course, he's he's like sort of the primary there, probably the person we're going to spend the most time talking about. Although there are some like sort of secondary tertiary characters. That could come up as well. But I just think, A, this character is great um, for the same reasons I thought Killmonger was a really effective antagonist, I think fair to say villain um, in the first movie. Um, so, like more interesting motivations and themes and backstory and a bit richer of a character than we typically get in the MCU. I feel the same about Namor. Um, you know, the whole escape from colonization backstory uh i think there's there's nothing like specifically special about that but i think using that sort of narrative as the backstory for this character is just like so effective at presenting sort of like the the internal conflict um that that it feels like it is although it's not like a civil war it feels kind of like that um when you're thinking about wakanda whose queen ramonda is afraid that essentially they're they're like resources and wealth and knowledge are going to be colonized by all these external influences um that's that's the same fear that namor has and it's the whole reason why he's presenting this ultimatum to you know to wakanda and and how he just fiercely wants to protect his people he is sort of like the you know n- not in term i don't mean this in any like loaded way whatsoever but he's like the better version like he and talo khan are like the better version of what queen ramonda is trying to do with wakanda he's more powerful obviously which is um, which he, I think they show pretty clearly in sort of the first battle scene that takes place in Wakanda, but yeah, I just found, I just found the performance like very convincing. I thought that his sort of like, I mean, frankly, I just thought he oozed charisma. I thought I thought like his scenes with Ramonda, his scenes with Shuri, anytime he was talking with anyone else um, in Talakan, Namora, I think is his cousin's name, who's one of the generals. Um, like, I don't know. I was just completely absorbed by the, by the performance. I think he's right up there with Michael B. Jordan in the first film for like really best, like best uh, antagonist performances in these movies. Um, I was just kind of wowed by it. And I, I was going through his filmography. I've seen like a random indie film. Um, I think a Mexican film that he, that he was in from a few years back that I was pretty lukewarm on. Not his performance specifically, but just the movie. And feels like this is a real find for... For Marvel, I think that they certainly, again, we've we've talked full spoilers here, so he does not die at the end of the movie. It seems like he is being set up to have 
um, some sort of like either anti-hero or future like continued antagonist role. It seems very ambiguous what they want to do with him right now, which I'm a fan of. I like that it's ambiguous um, what they want to do. But I am just so excited to have more of a this character and this performance and this actor and in, in the MCU moving forward, but also to learn more about him, his people, Telecon. Like we get his origin story, if you will, um, did that sort of flashback to the 1500s or 1600s or whatever it was. Um, but I feel like there's just so much more to learn about this people, um, these people that excites me. Yeah, I don't think I could have said it better myself. I thought Thanos Huerta, you know, like like you said, he uses charisma and he was a very compelling villain. I think it was, like you said, really effective to use to create this escaping from colonization type backstory to pit these two places against each other. It's like, you know, the the thing that's fueling at least one side, right, is like escape from oppressors and the other side, Wakanda, like is, you know, actively trying to fend off these oppressors in real time who are trying to like get access to their vibranium and whatnot. And, you know, it, it I think it's just really effective having two, like, you know, uh, they are, I guess, the two most powerful nations on earth at this point, fighting each other over how to deal with these other oppressor nations that are yeah. trying to these threats yeah. you know yes that either active or like soon to be active in the case of talacon since you know they're uh not public yet yeah people really. don't know people don't seem yeah. to know about them i mean not even the wakandans knew about them so yes no and and this and the you know we'll, we'll touch on the cia in a sec but i guess they, they they now are aware that there might be another power at play but have no other information uh yeah if i'm remembering that correctly so yeah i thought he was amazing. I thought, again, the city was so well still just CGI'd underground, right? That wasn't location. And they... Yes, it was. Of course it was. <laughs> Bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. When you were talking about that earlier, I was going to make a clip about it. When you were like, I wonder how much of this was see- or you know, green screen versus on location. I was going to say, oh, all the underwater scenes, like, totally real. I did read that Ryan Coogler learned how to swim so he could direct the underwater se- some of the underwater scenes better, which I thought was awesome. Um, I mean, that, that was the thing I was going to say, though. It's like... I- obviously of course it depends on on location they're not in the atlantic ocean filming this but they are definitely underwater when they're filming parts parts of this thing and that's one of the cool parts about the development and technology over the last few years um watch avatar way of water half the movie's underwater i think or something like that so i'm just on here talking about avatar too it's fine i'm good i you still have to maybe i will still see if i end up going going to see that movie but that's so disrespectful i'm gonna get you I to know. that movie i'm, I'm aware like i'm i'm fully aware you'll end up dragging me but you know. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this movie on open night. I'm gonna text you be like, Jay, this is the best movie of the year, and you're gonna go watch it. <laughs> we'll see. Um, maybe I'll end up joining you like I did for Maverick, and it'll end up being like the highlight of my year, which yeah. that's gonna be my best movie of the year. I'm calling that shot. Guess we'll now. see. We'll see if we'll see if Tar Two comes through in the end. Nah, anyway, back sorry, to the we're movie talking we're about like Telecon. Talking about. Yes. Yeah. No, we're yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I'm with you in that. I thought he was the the star of the show. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that, you know, we spent 40 minutes on the Wakandans and I feel like I don't have much more to say on him, but like, I don't really have anything to say other than like, watch this movie. He's so compelling. I'm really glad, like you said, that they didn't end up killing him. I was worried they were going in that direction. Uh, at least oh, yeah. I mean, up to, the, the up to the last one, I thought that they were going to 100% do it, which which to be clear, it would have been a bummer, but a really interesting narrative beat and a very interesting direction. for the Oh, franchise sure. To go. Um, but I prefer that he is alive and that we can see more of him in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I, I think, agreed. Don't have anything to add. Cool. 
yeah, Tana Huerta. I mean, honestly, not that there's not plenty of reasons to go see this movie, but I think his performance alone is 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 worthy enough to to check this out. In addition to you know the more obvious things that this this film appeals towards. So that's Talcon. We've talked about the Wakandans. Should we talk about the the fighting a little bit? Well, I'll save the CIA for the end because it's just it's going to be a throwaway moment that we talk about. But the big there's like three right there's Cambridge and Boston. By the way, also the the Bostonness of this movie. Oh my god, Jay! I was apoplectic. I could not believe that their like evacuation point was going into downtown Boston. Jay, they were in Cambridge and they were driving across the Charles River into Boston as their escape point. Why? Why are you I did hear into you like, downtown? audibly laugh when they were like, we can lose them in downtown traffic or Boston traffic or something like that. Like, oh, I yeah, heard that you like silly, laugh. That was a silly line. First. That was <laughs> definitely a silly line. And then the fact that they were going, then later they were like, oh yeah, our evacuation point is this way. I'm like, why is your evacuation point downtown? That doesn't make any sense at all. Why are you driving towards the water? Why aren't you driving away from the water? Anyway, I mean, rant I aside about just... that, there's Boston, there's Wakanda, and then I guess there's the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know what you want to, what you want to call it. But there was like the three set pieces, Jay. What do you want to talk about? Well, I honestly, so it's the action scenes and the CIA that I think are the two things that remind me that we're in the MCU right now. And they're ultimately things that I'm like, could do better. Like you could do Uh better with, with these things. And we can talk about the fighting in a sec. I honestly, when they were like, we have to do this, you know, somewhere like in the middle of nowhere. And when the Atlantic ocean popped up, I honestly swear to God, thought we were going to see the, the celestial body from Eternals that's just in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean still. Like, I swear I thought the fight was Is that in the Atlantic? That. Is that where that's at? It is. And I I was I was like, if you do this, like, you know, I'm not gonna walk out, but I'm gonna be very annoyed. <laughs> like to a point where sure. I'm like, please don't do this. Like, don't shove your Marvel in my face right now. Like, let's well, stay very I bet I bet you're gonna be really pleased when Talokan is actually like the long decaying body of a celestial that's at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. From like thousands of years before. That's so now there's two celestials that have tried to take over. Like, yeah, whatever. Moving on. It, sure. Why not? I mean, there, there isn't a particular fight sequence that I want to point out. I just will say that this does suffer from what most Marvel movies do, uh, which are cut scenes or fight scenes that are cut so aggressively that I don't really have a sense of what's going on in two of them. Like yeah. it's just sense of you know ah danger excitement things are happening people are falling and flying and again it's 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 hard to get a sense of for yeah, me that's... like I, I really can't follow what's going on and the editing is kind of covering a lot of that until we're a little bit more settled and you know the massive the climactic battle and... is just a huge a huge victim of this like a hundred percent like there it, there's the the crazy thing the crazy thing about it to me I hundred percent agree with you by the way the crazy thing about it to me is that. There's two kinds of like terrible editing that can happen. There's one where it's just like what we're doing is just like so frenetic. It has to be cut this way and there's like no good solution for it. And the second is like we're going to edit this way because we think it's a good idea. And I kind of think that they thought it was a good idea, unfortunately. Like they're, they're like trying to make some sort of like emotional point cutting just like frenetically back and forth between these two fights, like the the desert beach area and then like on the ship in the Atlantic Ocean, the last scene, and it is—I had incomprehensible. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I don't—I don't even mean cutting between scenes, but I mean like when we are focused in one sure, place that for too. a little bit, it's still yeah. just like, yeah. where are you right now? Like you're maybe yeah. on the side of a boat, and there are all these people clinging to it. But now we're like, you know, you, how are you like fighting off like ten people at once? Like I don't know. 
especially because it also like i think we've established that the talakon people are all much stronger than like normal people like which like think, what the wakandans yeah. are yeah no I, I think i think that was established um which you know not to disrespect the Milaje or anything but it yeah i i guess i don't really know what the what the plan was going into that fight because i guess i don't know if shuri knew that she wasn't going to kill namor right but we've established earlier that like the the talokan people can't be killed by normal blows like okoye stabbed like because of the water as long as they have water right and they're fighting in the atlantic ocean so like what was the plan like it's one of those things i'm like look i had to just like this is your big set piece you know i'm focusing more on the emotional beats and what's happening with shuri's character and the fight with namor and like you know that's that's all well and good but yes like the fight scenes it did very much feel like all right we're still in a we're still in a like typical non shang chi mcu movie which you know i for for some like should be obvious reasons i can understand why you can't cut these fight scenes the same way you cut those but you've shown me you can do it so find you know find a a last jedi type way to like cut this fight right (laughs) I'm yeah, about that I mean, scene like, in, like the red room. You no, know, I know what you're talking. Don't worry, I, t- I know you're talking about the throne room. Um, like Scott, you can cut like an epic hand-to-hand combat sequence without like you know having to like cut every like half second. I hear you. Also, you're talking about like the Last Jedi is better than 99 of Marvel movies, so I think it's like it's it's a tall order. Um, mm, oh, I'm not, I'm not opening that can of worms, but I'm just touching on that one very specific aspect of it. Sure. I mean, the throne room is a goaded scene. Cutting, cutting off. Uh, uh, never mind. We're not getting it. I'm no, just not, stopping there. I, I, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. between we're, that we're and Shang Chi. I'm just saying, hey, like I've sure. seen us do like you know fight scenes of different scales. Sure. That don't have to be cut to death. I, know... I mean, Shang Chi. The end is still like. I mean, the end is still kind of that though. Earlier on, it's not. But I felt like the end was still sort of that way. Okay, the first third half of Shang Chi, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. that one scene. In like we're just Jedi. we're all we're just talking about the bus scene in San Francisco. Let's be honest. It's not just that though. It's you know learning yeah. how to take the rings off uh, when he's practicing with his aunt, and like whatever. We, you, you get the point. Like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it can be done. This was. I mean, the Russos literally did it. I mean, that's like what that is like. What made the Russos such a such good Marvel directors in my mind is that they were able to make sense of the mess that is like gigantic combat sure if only if only they made good movies outside of the mcu we could all be happy i'm not touching that can of worms either but it's not a can of worms <laughs> what movie have they made i don't even think it's controversial to say that what movies well, have they made that are good outside the mcu i i don't even know what movies they have made outside of the mcu so i don't even I know what it is i'm like potentially stepping into so i'm just gonna step around it cherry and the gray man those are the two movies that i know that they've made there i don't you know if go. you watched the gray man on netflix earlier this year let me know i did not okay lucky you um <laughs> anyway yes well, i don't even know what we're talking about the action sequences, yes did not like the, the, sequences, the climax of action sequence not yeah. very good um i liked the middle one though i'll be honest i liked the one in wakanda um it was the best of the three for sure well because this and, and the reason is because there's really not very much fighting happening there's a lot of destruction and not very much fighting happening and i think this is exactly maybe the point you were making because i think a the first time you actually see namor like truly in combat that's cool like really good stuff when, oh, you yeah. actually, when you see him like like pulsing around on the air using his wings um really really great stuff that's something that i really enjoyed um but yeah i mean at this point like i've seen enough marvel action scenes that i don't i don't even like if there was a marvel movie that didn't have any action sequences cool i'm all bored have you watched loki 
That one doesn't have any action sequences, right? There's like hardly any action sequences in Loki. Hardly. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair to say. And I, you know, on this funny point, actually, we haven't really talked about the score or the cinematography. The cinematographer from Loki is the cinematographer on this movie, Autumn Durald Arkapaw. Um, is Did a great job on both. Indeed, yeah. Um, and so you know, there's definitely some some overlap maybe there, as well as uh, um, Ludwig Göransson doing the score, King, absolute King. Did the Tenet score? Did the Black Panther score? Did the Mandalorian score? Those are some of his more recent works. Although he's done so much stuff, he's like one of the busiest guys out there right now. <clears throat> I believe he's doing Oppenheimer for Chris Nolan next year too, um, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, as if I really didn't have cool. enough enough reasons, I wanted to see it. Yeah, I mean, maybe not. He's been where I mean, he's done I think every Kugler movie. So I think he did both Creeds, or maybe just the first Creed. He maybe only no, I think you know he did both Creeds. Um, looking at his score, yeah, really cool stuff. Great guy. Uh, all right. We've been waiting, putting this off. I, in my notes, I have, what the F is the CIA doing in this movie? Jay, can you answer this question for me? Reminding us that we're in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's right. it. Right. Because okay. I ultimately saw little to no point. I think all, it function, all, all they functionally accomplish uh-huh. in the movie is, that, is reminding us that, or is, is what, pointing us to Riri Williams, right? I think does everett ross ultimately do that i don't even remember if that's how they found like you know yes. the student who was they, yes, they, well they, they he tells them who made the device and that she was at mit so right. yeah i think so sure so because they like the... hunt him down in the middle of the woods or whatever when he's running sure and i suppose there is the opening scene which is you know the vibranium detection machine being destroyed and that uh that ship being attacked but i ultimately think you know, as much as I, I really like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I, I'm like, why why are any of these scenes here other than to, like, let us know that she was married to Everett K. Ross and... Which me, which matters not at all. No. Like, I mean, th- there might be a tie-in in Thunderbolts later, right? Like, if, if that project sure. comes to fruition and, you know, they'll probably both be in it. But, like, it, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think you could have written this movie without any of that. Like th- th- there was almost no need for the CIA because they also don't even show up in the final like climactic scene. Like they don't play any part in what ultimately takes place. Like there's this idea of like, oh, they might, you know, they're already like on edge about Wakanda because Wakanda's not sharing the vibranium. And now they might be attacking CIA ships that are uh, looking for vibranium because they don't know about the Talokan people. And it's like, oh, like is the US gonna, or the CIA going to go to war with Wakanda? And then it just nothing manifests and nothing needed to like i'm not i'm not complaining yeah. that it didn't show up i'm just saying like it just makes it even dumber that like you didn't do anything with this this is my like yeah. you know i don't want to waste any more breath on this but i do think sure. we and i don't complain about the runtime even really because it did feel like it was ultimately a pretty fast movie but i don't think we needed most of those scenes you know There's i like five to ten minutes of this stuff though like that's that's stuff that could have just easily been cut out or written around i think so Ultimately, yeah. I, yeah, they're gonna throw away that like you know, so Everett K. Ross gave us this information. He's there. Like he doesn't need to go through this like. Or they just track her some other way. Them. Like it doesn't even. They don't. It doesn't matter. Sure. Well, I'm saying if you still want to like remind us that he's around and helping the Wakandans, yeah. you know, instead of giving us these like five or six scenes, ultimately ending with you know the Fast and Furious ending of like you know you're on this transport van and it's like oh we're gonna break you out now like. I honestly thought yeah. they were gonna like end it right there, like with the like you know him knowing he's gonna get broken out the way they did at the end of like the fourth Fast and Furious movie. I'm like, oh my god, please don't do this! Like, 
Yeah, I feel I feel like they uh, Marvel just the the Marvel trying to marvel at all is just like the idea of like them just trying to get their their like diehards to to do the Leo meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure. Just like whenever they can and like, oh yeah, you know whoever at Ross is? Yeah, so does everyone else. We can move on now. It's not an inside joke that you get. Sure. I, I just don't understand why any of these people are in the movie, Jay. Like, I can't help but think that there was something more going on here and that 30 minutes, 30, 30 other minutes of them on screen doing stuff must have been cut out of this movie. And that point, like, I asked myself, well, why didn't we just cut the rest of it too? Um, maybe Amen. it was on a maybe it was unavoidable at some point that like they just had to be in in the movie because of well, it's just like surely they were doing something else with these characters in the movie and it just didn't make the final cut. But I just have to assume that. Otherwise, it's just so, it's so terrible. Otherwise, I feel like yeah, I I think I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, cool. Well, I have absolutely nothing more to add on that. You you did mention sort of the like final touching tribute of the film. We we didn't we haven't really mentioned it at all yet, um, other than alluding to it. So Jay, why don't you just sort of walk us th- walk us through those two scenes? Sure. The movie ends with Shuri on a beach in Haiti or Haiti, and she where's Nakia? Where Nakia was? Where Nakia was right in yeah. the movie, and because she she she's nowhere to be found early on in the movie, she uh, shows up in a I don't know Kenobi type role of only you can find this person. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I know that was too soon for you, but she uh, has been on high. We're done bringing up Star Wars in this episode. Gosh, sure. And so Shuri's sitting on the beach, thinking about her mom's words of, you know, like thinking about how her mom talked about like finding T'Challa like in the wind, sitting there. And so she's sitting there, and rather than him like appearing, you know, in some like CGI manner or like some ghost form, like walking towards her and like smiling or something, like. She just yeah. finds comfort in his memories. Uh, and they, you know, they were that close to doing a forest ghost. <laughs> and so, you know, she, we, we have that archival footage that you mentioned earlier on, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just goes quiet and we just get scenes, you know, it cuts between like scenes of the two of them, Shuri and T'Challa and then Shuri sitting on the beach crying and ultimately just like finding a little bit of peace mm-hmm. with his memories. Um, Again, like another very touching moment, just reminding us, you know, like what we lost and what this character has lost. Before going into the end credits, we, you know, then we have that Rihanna song that came out, and then ultimately the mid credit scene, which picks up on the beach with us finding out what Queen Ramonda was going to te- presumably tell Shuri yeah. uh, about T'Challa, yeah. which is that T'Challa actually has a son. Uh, who has been living out of Wakanda, away from the pressures of it all with Nakia. And yeah, like we have, you know, another another member of the royal family in, you know, Prince T'Challa, which uh, yeah. was super cool. Again, another another instance of Marvel, like setting up, you know, a son of, a, of Avenger or child of an Avenger moving forward. We have a lot of young Avengers on the rosters now. Um, I know ultimately this is staring at me right in the face. Who's the? Are we just talking about? I I don't oh, think I guess you've that, seen I guess all Cassie of them, Lang. and I'm gonna like. So I'm I'm not gonna name a list, but I think there's yeah. at least like five or six now. Five or six, really? Um, again, I I I might be like you know looping some in. It's like okay, they're not actually children. Like, okay, I was. Just, are you talking about Haley Steinfeld's character? Is that one of the ones you're talking about? I wasn't even thinking of her, but okay, she, like let's okay. just say Young Avengers. Forget about like children okay. of previous Avengers, but like yeah, Young yeah, yeah. Avengers, right? Okay. We have. A solid handful now again i don't want to i don't think you've seen all of them so i'm 
not naming all the I names. I don't care, Jay. You can name them. It's okay. No, I'm not. It's fine. Okay. But so, yeah, we, we ultimately have this this last scene in the movie in the med community credits where like we know that he has a son he's yeah. out there he's gonna go um, he's gonna fly immediately back to wakanda and beat mbaku's ass <laughs> <laughs> take the throne i mean yeah tbd like you know where down the line he'll play a part presumably he will be back um i mean like maybe not they, they could decide not to do something with it, but i have to imagine that he will 2040 the kid will be back phase they definitely 10. have set it up where they could have these movies run for like another 15 20 years Jay, we'll be lucky if this franchise is over in 15 or 20 years. <laughs> um, uh, you know, everything lives long enough to become a villain if it doesn't die. So, hey, I got hope. For, I got hope. We we ended Phase Four on a, a pretty solid note, and Phase Five and Six. You know, maybe we'll, we'll recapture some of the magic. Yeah, that's fair. I, I did kind of want to wrap up. I didn't put this on my our run of show when I sent to you, but I did want to wrap up and ask you favorite film in Phase Four. I think I need to look oh. at the list. It was, it was so Spider Man was years. Sure, Sp- Spider Man No Way Home. Was that was that? part of Phase Three. That was part of Phase Three. I feel I feel like I've seen lists that I put in both, but I thought it was in Phase Three. So not sorry, part of sorry, it. no way, sorry, No Way Home or Far From Home. No Way Home. That was Phase Four. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I. It's it was it's Black Widow, Shang Chi, Spider Man, Eternals, um, Eternal. Ugh. I know, I know, one. but I have to um, just yeah, for the yeah, sake D- of the Doctor list. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Thor Love and Thunder. This movie. The TV shows, if you I mean, I guess probably Loki is probably my favorite thing in Phase 4. No, sure. Yeah, I mean I, I would I'd probably say that this and No Way Home are probably my two favorite projects of Phase 4. I think it's particularly I think Shang Chi probably sits at third and then there's a bit of a gap um, yeah, yeah, yeah. for the rest. But you know, I will say one one of the interesting things that I was doing recently is I was going back through and like actually looking at what I ra- like rated the rest of the movies in the MCU. And like there, there's obviously some like very notable exceptions to this. Like Eternals is, is definitely one of them. I think Black Widow is definitely like lower lower tier as well in most respects. There's like some exceptions, I guess, to that. Some scenes in Shang-Chi are definitely like very elevated for me, like that we were talking about or alluding to the bus, sort of the bus fight scene earlier on, which I think is still like one of the best scenes in phase four. Um but I'll be honest, like even something like, you know, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, like that was probably better than the first. I mean, that was better than the first Doctor Strange movie. Spider-Man No Way Home is like probably on the same, like on the same like relative plane as the other two Spider-Man movies for me. I know some people are like not as hot on Far From Home, although I still like it. And Homecoming is probably one of my favorite Spider-Man movies. So it's like, I feel like Endgame just like might have ruined us a little bit. Like I think the Endgame just might have been like so good that you kind of just want to like, I mean, money is always the answer, but just like that, that was it. Like that, I, I think you'll like, have a hard time recapturing that magic. And I don't yeah, think yeah. it'll be in the next 10 years. Well, that's the thing, right? 10 like, years is a long time, but like I, I, it, it took 10 years to build to that point. And yeah. like at that point, I feel like we did kind of have a roadmap, even if we didn't totally understand how we were getting there. At this point, I, you know, has Kevin Feige earned the benefit of the doubt? Of course he has, but I'm going to mm-hmm. remain a little bit skeptical that you're going to recapture you know how it felt to be in the theater at endgame like that that was like one of the coolest moments like of my life i'll just say it like i you know sure yeah i mean i i say it every time it comes up like it's the best it's the best moment i've had in a theater like ever hands down like 100 percent. it's not even close same here um i and i just i feel like the fact that that movie was like almost perfect is a real lead weight 
coming into like what already feels like something that's unnecessary that we continue to tell these stories on top of that. And they're, even though I think like half of them are still like pretty much as good as they always were in the grant. Like if you take some of those like real standouts out, like the average MCU film is like probably about as good as Wakanda forever. Maybe like a little bit, a little bit below it. Like Wakanda forever is like a little bit better than like your average MCU film, in my opinion. And like Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is like a little bit better than like the average MCU film. But the problem is, is like, we're just not getting the standouts anymore in my opinion like you're, we're not getting like your spider-man homecoming like that was i mean that's one of my favorite ones like we're not getting like og guardians of the galaxy anymore like we're not getting movies that really like, resonate on that level but i like i kind of wonder is it even possible anymore though just because like i feel like we're so like overextended and burnt out with like tv shows etc like i haven't watched she hulk yet like i'm probably get to it around the holidays but like maybe not i don't know like it doesn't seem like there's any real sense of like urgency to watch it I'm sure there will be at some point, just like story wise, there will be at some point. But like, I don't feel like it's this like revelation of a show that I need to like, you know, it needs to be the next show I watch. Um, and it doesn't feel like it's important enough yet for me to to go consume it. So just kind of look at a weird place. Um, I don't know if you have any expectations for phase five, which starts the beginning of next year with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, in which we can talk about another person's uh, extracurricular beliefs being a problem for the movie. Because I don't want to single out Letitia Wright for that. I think that Evangeline Lilly gets dragged into that conversation as well. But yeah, I mean, I think we have the promise of like a, our, I mean, like, yes, we have seen Kang in Loki, but like we have the promise of our like next Thanos sort of taking center stage and in, in one of a, in one of them, you know, in a properly big MCU movie. So there's like that to look forward to. And I think that is like the thing that I'm latching onto right now is that Jonathan Majors is like such a force of nature for me right Amen. now. I think he's like really incredible. Um, I remember seeing him for the first time in the last black man in San Francisco back in 2019. And I'm like, this guy could be special. And then like the fact that he just sort of like popped off like year after year after that since then. Um, and he's got a movie later this year that looks amazing. Can't wait to see it called devotion with Glenn Powell, who was also in Top Gun Maverick. And he has this and Creed three next year. Like, it, I just feel like that's like, that is the most exciting thing about the MCU right now for me is the fact that we're getting Jonathan majors as, as Kang. And I feel like that's not a good sign for the MCU. Like that's like does not feel like a good thing that that is the thing that I'm most excited about. Yeah, I will say that Jonathan Major stands are going to eat the next like six months. Oh, we're feasting. We are we are feasting out here. hundred percent. I I totally agree that it's probably not the best thing for the MCU. That that is the thing that I'm looking most forward to as well. I think that while it might do a good job capturing the the gravity of the situation that we got with Thanos where like, you know, Thanos really felt like the first villain that might actually take the Avengers down and like, you know, for a brief shining moment, I guess did. Um, yeah. You know, Kang might be able to do that like on a multiversal level, but the thing that ultimately ties that whole story together, right. is how much we care about the original six Avengers and like their story and you know, the sacrifices made and the choices made in Endgame. Like, you know, I, you know, like cap lifting Mjolnir and Avengers assemble, right. Or, and the portal scene are moments that like, I feel because I care so much about like, I guess not just the original six, but everyone who comes back and whatnot. And I'm not feeling that like emotional tie to all these characters. I don't even know who like, you know, who are like the main six now. Right. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they'll give us like clearer answers on that, but I don't. Scott Lang, baby. Ant-Man. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he'll die in quantum mania. We'll see. But well, that would be nuts. Go Paul. Yo, if Paul Rudd like demands to be killed off, that's just goaded, goaded behavior. Absolutely. Let's go. 
we'll see. I, you know, I think, like I said, I think we've ended phase four on a good note. I'm going to try to remain cautiously optimistic heading into phase five. Yeah. So what's confirmed for next year? It's obviously there's quantum mania, which we were just talking about. There's the Marvels, which is going to bring, is that going to be the first show that's taking a TV character into the movies um, with Miss Marvel? Um, uh, it so depends ca- on how you look at multiverse of madness bringing. Uh, yeah. I think of Scarlet Witch. Is, I think, no, I, scar- I think like of Scarlet Witch. Is it. Yeah. It, it, it's all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that that Miss Marvel has a as like a titular role. character. Yes, like hopefully Miss yeah. Marvel will have a much bigger role than uh, yeah Wiccan, and I'm forgetting the other child's name. Um, Couldn't tell you. Is that good. really the child's name? Is that true? I think so. Oh God. Okay, that's not what I remembered. Um, we can move on. Well, that's we'll fine. look it up after. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, any other thoughts? Like. Is that it? I mean, we've we've exhausted this one probably. We we left off one very big cameo, which I was going to shout out in my favorite scener moment. It probably wasn't going to be my favorite scener moment, but okay. I felt the need that we can't go, we, we can't talk about this movie without touching on it. No. Okay, we'll say it now because we're about to go to the wrap up. So no, spit sure. It out. And that's Michael B. Jordan coming back as Killmonger sure. yeah. in the ancestral plane. Who, for those who might not remember, when. You take the art-shaped herb, you end up in the ancestral plane, you meet with, you know, one of your ancestors. In the first Black Panther, we saw T'Challa meet his father, King T'Chaka, twice. uh, And, like, you know, have what appears to be, like, a full-blown conversation with him. It doesn't really feel like it's... I mean, yeah, nothing more to add on that contextually, but so when Shuri takes the the heart-shaped herb and ends up going to the ancestral plane, there's this idea of, like, who might they have her talk to the idea was probably you're probably meant to think it's queen ramonda um you know or, could it be yeah because like, it couldn't be t'challa i mean what the obvious thing is that it can't be t'challa unless they sure CGI'd. again like they're yeah. you know was there like a 0.001 percent chance they might have like cgi'd him in for like a very quick scene sure but i'm like God. very 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 thankful they didn't do that yeah um what a wise you, know, you mentioned ryan sorry i said what a wise decision by kugler yeah and then of course, you you mentioned this. I this didn't even occur to me that like it's possible it would have been some twisted version of the ancestral plane because the heart shaped herb was made from strands of like or whatever, yes yeah. the water flower. So maybe she ends up talking to Namor or maybe Namor's um, deceased Damn. mother or someone else. But it ends yeah. up being Killmonger uh, for what feels like actually like a pretty good reason. It didn't you know ob- obviously it's one of those moments that's meant to make the audience be like oh my god and like you know I. I audibly gasped when he showed sure. up on screen, but I did feel like aside from the fact that, you know, it was probably was fan service to an extent. It was an earned moment of like, you know, a good, like, you know, you have the main character struggling with something emotionally here and you have like the perfect sound, not like sounding board, but you know what I'm saying? The person to basically like try to push her in that direction. Not the, the direction person she we... wanted to, not the person she wanted, but the one she needed maybe. Oh dear. Yeah. That that line, you know, is what fourteen years old, still only makes like some amount of sense, but will forever be quoted. Um, no, that's not that's not. You're thinking of not the one we deserve, but the one we need. That's a different line. What were you quoting then? Not the one she wanted, but the one she needed. It's not. Oh. I'm not quoting anything. I'm just saying words. <laughs> yeah, but it, okay, it, it feels like a, a spinoff of that. Whatever it is. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it was it was nice to see him on screen. 
you know, kind of serving as like the angry push to Shuri's character who she ultimately like rejects. But, you know, nice to see him back. Obviously it would have been cool if he hadn't died in the first place, but sure, a nice way to bring him back. Yeah. For us MCU stands. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it was big. It was definitely a surprise. Wasn't expecting it. Um, all I'll say is that Michael B. Jordan's stock needs to recover. It's, uh, it's, I feel like Michael B. Jordan's stock has been wiped out the last, uh, last few years with wiped uh, out that is that that's that's some fighting words right there my guy you have not watched the michael b jordan movies of the last few years that's not fighting words i saw him in space jam <laughs> and if you're defending the- him and you're standing over here defending him you've seen that movie and you're defending hey him. hey that, that was the best moment of that movie i'll say it oh man that's a low bar i mean it was a low bar but that's that's neither here nor there it was the best moment of that movie you haven't seen the rainbow six movie probably right nope. without remorse no you didn't see the denzel the i love i can't remember the name of the movie but the, the one that was directed by denzel washington um at the end of last year that was about journal for jordan that's what it was called didn't see that all right come back to me when you see that and let me know say, all right, so, still high. it's fine he, he creed 3 is gonna be great i'm optimistic i hope so i'm look I, I as i said the other day i will trust in your hope for it because i can't quite get myself there right now no i'm um, there he's directing it of course he's in it Jonathan Majors. No, I, I I posited the question: What if we were rooting for Jonathan Majors in the movie? <laughs> you might. Uh, yeah. Who knows? I guess we'll find out. All right. Out of oh, oh favorite scene or moment? I almost skipped that. I All was right, going to say favorite whoa. scene or moment from uh, from Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. I think it's ultimately Shuri and Namor exploring Talokan sure. and digging into his backstory a little bit. You talked about how Wakanda stands out as a place can't really yeah. mix it up with anything else. I feel like Talokan did a good job standing out as an underwater city. I feel like yeah. it's difficult to do that, especially when you're underwater because you have to you know, fill the space with water and have it be like, you know, look, we're underwater. And like, I feel like that takes up a lot of like emotional bandwidth or like mm-hmm. visual bandwidth, I guess, you know, emotional yeah. in the sense that you're like, all right, we are underwater. I am feeling that this is some like hold your breath, advanced okay. civilization. <laughs> Well played. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it very much stood out. That scene where, like, the sun comes out underwater. I'm just like, wow, like, all right, this is this is different. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, 100%. you know, g- give me give me more Talokan. Give me more exploring the depths. Yeah. Give me, uh, give me a Namora Disney Plus series, I guess. I don't know. I don't want that. Don't do that. Um, just give me a movie. Just give me a movie that I want to watch. How about that? Yeah, I loved, I mean, I said it earlier. I loved Talokan um loved getting to explore it exactly like you're saying i just wish there had been more right not not that i want the movie to be longer but like i'm excited to explore it more um because you only get like a handful of minutes like truly in telecon um because a lot of that time there is spent in those caverns before actually going there so um yeah i'm excited to see that in the future for me i think that was definitely on my short list of things to talk about i think the one i'm going to go with is that sort of first the sort of the scene where namor attacks like the the telecon people attack wakanda and you get to see namor you know jetting through through the sky basically with his winged feet taking down plane like taking down some of the airships um i think that was really uh really cool to see and you know i think of, of memorable moments as opposed to the, i think there's so many things that flow together really nicely in the movie but if you're thinking of like individual moments that's one that stands out for me and that i'll i'll think about and i think that's really cool what they did with the trying to make the combat in that instance feel a little bit different. Like the way that he moves through, through the air, um, you know, in combat was really cool. I enjoyed it. 
for sure. All right, Jay, out of 10, what are you giving Wakanda forever? Black Panther Wakanda forever, I guess, technically. 8.0. It was sure. you know, solid film, highly watchable, really enjoyed it. I think yeah. you were right that it doesn't quite get into like the upper echelon of the Marvel movies for me, but I also think it handled an impossible task very sure. well. So credit where credit's due. It certainly had a lot to juggle. Um, very enjoyable film. Like I, like I mentioned at the outset, definitely had some flaws. I'm coming in a little bit lower than you, but again, I, I don't think I feel that dissimilarly to you at the end of the day. So I'm coming in at a 7.3. Um, one of the better films of, of Phase 4. So if we're comparing across that plane, one of the better films. All right. I think that's going to do it for our discussion of Black Panther Wakanda Forever and episode 211 of Some Like It's Got. Jay, thanks again for joining me today. Can't wait to have you back again soon. You teased some episodes that have already been recorded. Maybe those will be released in the future. Maybe. We'll see. You can yeah. have me back on for Creed 3 if that's something that you're amenable to. All right. He is. He has submitted his claim for Creed 3. I submitted my note. petition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm making a note of this so I don't actually forget it. Um, that's a good point. I, for, I forgot because we did, we did review Creed 2 on the podcast and I'd forgotten at the time. I think we had maybe talked about how you were excited for Creed 2. And then I don't, at that point, we didn't have you. We Okay, I'm not going crazy. We did not have you on for Creed 2, right? That didn't happen. Thanksgiving I 2018. I remember. I, I know we talked about it because I remember our conversation about it, but I don't think it was recorded. Okay. That's what I'll say. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Early, I feel like we weren't yet having a lot of guests on the podcast at that point because that was still 2018. Um, we had like the countdown series that and stuff. Long ago? Oh, yeah. Then, then, then I almost certainly was not. Creed 2 I was guess... Thanksgiving. I think I'm almost positive Creed 2 was Thanksgiving 2018. I believe you. Um, could be wrong about that. You can double check me. Um, yeah, but all right. Jay's going to be back on the podcast latest in March, assuming the film doesn't get delayed. Um, March of next year for Creed 3. Um, Jay, any, any social media you want to plug? Any? You're not really active. You're kind of like me. You're kind I of like am, in the dark. I, I have really fallen off. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can at jhubby15, but I really go. don't uh, spend much time on social. Ah, that's probably for the best. Um, and I can be found at shelton2013 on Twitter, Letterboxd, Serialize. Don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon as well at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, that'd be great. We'd appreciate it. But if not, that's okay too. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts where we'd love it if you rated and reviewed, subscribed, shared, etc., so that we continue to reach a broader audience. And finally, we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about Black Panther Wakanda forever. We'll be back next week, hopefully with Scott fully recovered from his spirited surprise, when we'll be reviewing the Anya Taylor-Joy, Ray Fiennes thriller, The Menu. We hope you'll join us for that. But until then, for Jay Habib, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.